Uh, all right. Uh, t- well, I'm sorry I scared everybody off last week, um, <laughs> but apparently I did. Um, we're uh, occasionally pops up here. We're talking about the, the series is called the Magic Word, and, and the idea was um, that we were talking about the blessing of God and, and how when you when you live the blessing of God, you're ready to kind of tackle tomorrow, and how when you start thinking about that, how does that work in your life? How do we how do we create moments where we can bless other people? How do we have the opportunity to speak into their world? And so I. I kind of, yeah, you're fine. I, I, kind of, I kind of fine-tuned that down a little bit and, and, and broke it down to something that's a little bit more simple than that. And I said that there is an entry word that sometimes we don't recognize how powerful it is, and sometimes we don't recognize the power of the words that we have. And we, so the magic word, of course, and we know it's please, right? Um, and so we started talking about that, but we t- t- started talking about how that kind of ties back into the blessing of God and how important it is and how even when we approach God, the importance of, of how we approach God. And I, and I asked the question, and some of you actually did email me back, and we talked about it a little bit more in, in a couple of just um, kind of text format. But how often is it that we approach God and our lead word is please? I mean, we're good with prayer lists. We're good at, you know, telling God what we want. But how well do we open the door and lead with please? Uh, because only God by default, wants to bless us. And we said that, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But um, understanding how we approach God really does model for us how we approach other people, too. Because if you're going to bless somebody else, I mean, you have to get engage them in some type of interaction. And, and you have to be able to, to come before them somehow and, and, and speak into their world. And so how do you do that? How do you do that effectively? And how does that work? And so we're talking about that. Um, and and I, I really do believe it's important. We talked about how sound works. We talked about... Uh, infrasound, ultrasound, we talked about how God is still creating at the edges of the universe because of the Doppler effect, and, and, and that's a little bit different, I think, for some. Um, but if you think about it, okay, when we enter the world, okay, our primary way of communicating um, is crying, right? I mean, that's what babies do, they cry. Uh, when they're hungry, they cry. Give it a few months, and the babies start forming sounds, Syllables. Uh, the average toddler has somewhere between 50 and 100 words in their vocabulary. And when we're toddlers, words are the way that we make sense of the world. But words are also the way that we get our way. Okay? Uh, so when you're a toddler, I mean, you, you get your way by how you use your words. Um, as we grow up, hopefully, uh, for adults... Our vocabulary will change. Um, it expands. Um, we also communicate with body posture and tone and inflection and stuff like that. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, you'll like this, um, there are 171,476 words for you to choose from in the English language. Now, as a writer, I've used all of them. <laughs> um, and there are an estimated 47,156 words as of last week that are now considered obsolete. In other words, words that are no longer in the dictionary, that will never be used again, they've just been removed from the dictionary. For you that keep score, that's what it is. Um, the average vocabulary of an adult English speaker is around 20,000 words in your active vocabulary. So you really draw from about 20,000 words on a regular basis. You have a passive vocabulary 
of 40,000 words. So in other words, you know that you could grab if you wanted to. So you know a lot. You're a lot smarter than you look, in other words. Okay? Uh, so congratulations. Now, I don't know if your vocabulary is average or above average, but I have a theory. There are a couple of words that if you can learn to use them correctly, you will kick open the door toward interaction, conversation, and the ability to bless and the ability to bless others. And that can be whittled down to three. Please, sorry, and thanks. I mean, those are magic words, right? Um, and, And while we're focusing on please, and using just three words means you'll probably never win in a spelling bee. But it does mean that in most situations, if you can remember the power that we have when we communicate, especially if we can come with that approach, uh, we will do some amazing things. Uh, Take your Bibles and go to Psalm 23. We're going to be jumping around and looking at different passages again. Psalm 23. Familiar passage. It is everyone's funeral passage. You can pray for me. I haven't decided if I'm going to use it tomorrow yet or not. We'll see. Um, see how that goes. Um, usually I use it at graveside, but I don't tend to prepare graveside um, until just before we get to the graveside, based on how the funeral goes, um, based on the crowd. I usually have two or three in my quiver that I'll pull out and, 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 and start trying to put one together on the walk to the, to the, to the casket. Um, Sometimes it works, and sometimes it sounds like I didn't prepare. Um, <laughs> Psalm 23, 6. Somebody read that. Out loud. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Familiar. You know this. This is part of Psalm 23, right? I mean, we, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever and ever. <laughs> That's it. We, got, we got that down, right? Um, and what you may or may not know, if you look back at that verse... Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So in other words, there's a promise in there that the mercy and the goodness of God, which are blessings, by the way, are going to follow you all the days of your life, which means that for every day that you're alive, that God, you have a God who's wanting to bless you. But what you may not understand the significance of is the word follow. Follow is a Hebrew hunting term. Okay, so it is a term that literally means to stalk to stalk with the intent to capture. And so when God says, or when the passage says, surely goodness and mercy will stalk me, it will follow me, it will chase me. It's like a discovery plus special. It's after me. All the days of my life, basically we're talking about the fact that God, again, His default is blessing, right? This is what God does. God blesses from the very beginning of Scripture. He has blessed. And here we are reminded again that God wants to bless us so much that he literally is chasing us at times where all we have to do, and we have free will, we don't have to, we can ignore him. I mean, we don't don't have to embrace what he gives us, but all we have to do is turn around and we'll find the open arms of God's blessing behind us because every day he's poised and ready to bless. Now that's absolutely amazing to me. And that demands... One of our magic words, thanks. And when we start thinking about the way that we use uh, the, our, our skills to communicate, the doors that we can open, 
uh, when we're willing to walk to walk and talk to talk and, and learn how to engage with God to experience His blessings, it does change the trajectory of our life. Um, I said last week as we were wrapping up, nothing primes a pump like please, especially if you put pretty in front of it. Pretty please. Uh, once you ask that, I mean, you're, you're, you're good to go. Um, and, and you know why that works, right? Because no one um, wants to be told what to do. It changes a command into a request. When you say please, it changes what you're at, the way you're asking. It changes the approach. Um, and a lot of times it, it works. The story is told, it's an old story, uh, when Christian Herter was the governor of Massachusetts. He stops by a church barbecue on a Sunday afternoon when he's out on the campaign trail and he makes his way down the serving line, and of course, the church is serving chicken. And so, he asks the lady who is serving the chicken, can I have another piece of chicken? And she says, sorry, only one per customer. And the governor says, and he's a humble guy, he was a humble guy, but he said to her, do you know who I am? I am the governor of this state, and I have been campaigning all day, and I am hungry, on the verge of being hangry. And she looked back at him and said, do you know who I am? I'm the lady serving the chicken. One piece, get on, move on. And that's it. The request was not answered. And it could have gone a long way to getting another piece of chicken. And he said, please. But he did not. In our life, demands, when we make demands, they come across as entitled. And when you start making demands of anyone, that is how, for the most part, they will perceive you. And let's be honest. A lot of times when we're making a demand, we make that demand because we think we're owed something. They may, they may not be far off when they think that. And the word please levels the playing field. Again, I say to you, we no, need to learn to say please to God. It is a great way of reminding us of where our place is. It's a great way of reminding us of our rank, if you will. Um, authenticity trumps authority. And we have to come before God and be honest about who we are. Please demonstrates a posture of humility. Uh, and I think when we come before God that way, it reminds us that that also is how we bless others. And so we talk about seeing our life as a blessing. Um, you don't go around in life claiming the promises of God like some side of sort of spiritual pin the tail on the donkey. Okay, you just don't get to go, just go, you know, you don't get to go stick them to the wall. But in the Bible, it is absolutely loaded with the promises of God. And when you position yourself in such a way, when you remember your place before God and you are obedient to God, you position yourself to taking advantage of a whole lot of stuff that God wants to do. Why? Because God just likes to bless. Um, go to Philippians 2, 3 through 7. Philippians 2, 3 through 7. And someone can read that for us too. Don't be afraid. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Keep going. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, 
who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, yes. being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. There you go. Theologians call this kenosis, K-E-N-O-S-I-S, kenosis. What it means is Jesus empties himself for others. Now, believe it or not, when we're followers of Christ, we're called to do the same. Uh, We are called to empty ourselves and basically make our lives, our existence, as hard as this is to believe, about others. Uh, Is to make our life about him. And when we make our life about him then he keeps putting us in position and he uses our life to bless and impact others. It is a radical way to live. It is a a countercultural way to live. It is a way of living that um, most people don't tie, don't dial into that. Most people don't get, most people can't figure out. Well, I was upstaging you. Oh, well, I was going to say, who, who, who was preaching there? Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston reading for you? It sounded like Moses to me. Um, But the, uh, the, 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 I don't know what I was saying. The the way that, what are we talking about? No, sorry. uh, When we are willing to remember that it's not about us, and if you you ever read The Purpose Driven Life, you know, there's been, you know, seven great books written in all of Christendom. Six of them are Key to the Kingdom series. And then, and then The Purpose Driven Life. Rick Warren says right there in the first line of the book, it's not about you. It's not. It never has been. I promise you that 99.9% of the people that you meet each day as you're bumping your way through the aisle at public somewhere, they're not living with that attitude. They think it's about them. I'm frightened to, to, to try to guess the percentage of the people who come to church each week, not here, other places, um, that have that same attitude. Because we tend to live our lives with that air about us. And because of that, then sometimes we tend to act like we're entitled to whatever God's going to do for us. But when we're entitled, we're not really willing to look to what we can do for someone else. Which is why we come back to that magic word, those magic words that we approach God with, and why they become so important. Because when we start looking to meet the needs and the interests of others, then all of a sudden, it's a lot easier to remember that it's really not about us. What happened today was really never about you. It was about where you were and what God was trying to do for you, through you, and in you to accomplish what needed to be done next. That's your day in a nutshell. Um, Jenny Jerome, is an, if you're a history buff, you know that name. Um, she has a famous son. Her famous son was Winston Churchill. She once dined with two of Britain's prime ministers on back-to-back evenings. When asked her impression of each, she said of William Gladstone, When I left the dining room after sitting next to Gladstone, I thought he was the cleverest man in England. The next night, she ate with Benjamin Disraeli. 
And she said, I left that night feeling that I was the cleverest woman in England. See, Gladstone was good at projecting his charismatic personality, and there's nothing wrong with that. You have a charismatic personality. Um, we always want to put our best foot forward. We want to use our talents and gifts. Disraeli was good at drawing water out of other people's wells. In other words, he was known for bringing out the best in others. The difference? Gladstone was self-focused. I mean, he was very much um, in touch with who he was. Disraeli was others-focused. Disraeli once said one time, talk to people about themselves, and they will listen to you for hours. There are two kinds of people that walk in the room. Um, One walks in and basically internally announces, here I am. And they're pretty impressed with themselves. Uh, Their ego barely fits through the door, and that's who they are. There's a second kind of person, and they walk in the room, and they internally announce, there you are. And they immediately become focused on everybody else. Their objective of being wherever they are in every place that they are is adding value to that place. Now, you think of the two, and the question would become, which is the call of Christ? Are you the person that walks in the room with the here I am attitude? Or are you the person that walks in the room with the there you are attitude? Are you a here I am person? Are you a there you are person? In other words, I'll put it this way. Do you think that you being there is the blessing? Or are you there to do the blessing? And there is a huge difference between the two. And some people are in touch with the fact that, hey, I'm blessed and I'm a blessing. But they allow their ego to get out of sync and they carry themselves that way and they forget that the reason they're a blessing is to bless others. See, people who will try to impress others are unimpressive. Uh, You ever meet somebody that's doing their best to impress somebody else and they really just become boring at it. Um, And what's really impressive is someone who's not trying to impress anyone who was really low-keying it. Um, and it's almost you have to draw out of them who they are. You remember the night that we met Erwin McManus uh, at the wedding? I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Erwin Raphael McManus. He has Orlando ties, but he is one of my all-time favorite um, thought provokers. Let me put it that way. I don't always agree with Erwin, but I love to hear him talk. And he always, always walk away going, gosh, I don't Man, I didn't agree with anything you said, but I liked the way you said it. Or sometimes I walk away going, man, you were, you were, you were on the money tonight. Um, I did a wedding um, for Irwin's niece. Irwin, just so you know, I mean, you know, so we have friends in, in high places. Um, Irwin is, um, had just been, George Bush was president at the time. Irwin had just been in South Florida speaking in an event with George Bush. He'd been on the platform with, with uh, President Bush. So Irwin then had jumped into a plane, came to Orlando, Lake Mary, for this wedding for his niece before he flew back to California. Um, and, and again, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't get starstruck a lot because usually I'm, well, you know, I met, I met William Shatner. So <laughs> I don't get starstruck a lot. But um, Irwin was there, and, and, and I had a moment when I was getting ready to go do the wedding um, where the bride uh, had come over to me before the wedding started. She said, my Uncle Irwin is really excited about hearing you do the wedding. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm, I'm going to die in the vine up there. 
Um, I did it. He's very, very gracious. But I spent the better part of a half hour chasing that guy around the room, trying to corner him to talk to him. Because I found out something about Erwin that I never knew. The guy hates being around people. I mean, he's a mega pastor who hates being around people. And um, he was doing his best to hide and disappear. And, uh, and again, of all the people he didn't want to talk to was me. Uh, and, and so uh, and I've met him a number of times and a number of times since then. Um, and I'm not going to tell you what he said about the bride and the groom. That wouldn't be nice. Um, and we're recording. So I'm not going to say that. But, but needless to say... Uh, I, I, uh, I, was, I was very impressed by that. But one of the things that happens for us is that sometimes we forget that when you walk into a room, people do notice. And so are you trying to impress? Are you there basically to look for who you can bless and how you can bless others? Are you here I am or are you there you are? And there is a huge difference between the two. One positions you to bless. One does not. Did you know that Teddy Roosevelt, and I'm going to say this and you're going to go, no, he did not. And I'm going to say back to you, yes, he did. Not that I ever met him. But according to historians, yes, he did. Teddy Roosevelt read a book a day. Every day of his life. Not every day of his life. That's a lie. Every day of his adult life, he read a book. When he was a kid, he couldn't read. He was too busy crying. Um, but he read a book a day. And that includes while he was serving as president of the United States. Now, how did he do it? Well, for starters, he wasn't watching TV. He wasn't flipping through Facebook. He wasn't watching uh, the latest post on Instagram. And he wasn't spending all his time on social media. Um, there were fewer distractions a century ago. That's a given. Um, but I don't think he would be any less aggressive as a reader or a consumer of knowledge today. Why did he do it? That's the question. And by his own definition, is he had a holy curiosity about God's creation and the world around him. And the way that he connected to that was by researching and reading and doing stuff to learn more. He was constantly trying to absorb information so he could have it. Um, when guests came to the White House, he read up and knew who that guest was before they walked in the door. Because when they walked into the room, Roosevelt wanted to know more about them than they knew about him so that he could carry on a conversation about them and get them talking about themselves to accomplish what needed to be accomplished. He approached relationships that way. He drove things that way. You ever thought about what would happen if we did that? I mean, if we really became interested in the places that God puts us and the people God puts us around, you know what would happen, right? We would talk about the weather a lot less. Because we would really have something to talk about. We would have connection points. We would have those moments where we would know enough about someone else to be able to have a conversation with them. And you know what happens when you begin to get to know someone and you begin to have that conversation? Then all of a sudden you know how to bless them. Because then you begin to understand what they need. And then you begin to understand how it is 
that God might use you to add value to their life. See, when you're blessing someone, you're literally saying to them, there you are. I see you. Please, can I do this for you? As a pastor, I have people that come and say, I want to talk to you. And I've had people that say, I, I want to talk to you. And some people, you know, they, come, they, they drive a long way to do that. And, um, and when they come in the door, um, they talk. And sometimes when they talk, I can't get a word in edgewise, which means I should have taken them literally. They really wanted to talk to me. <laughs> and they do. And sometimes I say nothing. And they walk out the door and they say, thank you so much, you really helped me, which, is, which is, really makes my life easy, which is great. Um, I guess I really want to talk. But, but there, is a, there is something about the, the, the art of conversation, of, of knowing what to say and when to say it and how to say it. Um, and doing it allows us um, to be a giver instead of a taker. Now, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more on Sunday, so I'm not going to talk about it a lot um, tonight. But takers live with a scarcity mindset. People who are takers are self-focused. It's here I am, people. Um, it's a dog-eat-dog world. Their primary interest is self-interest. Um, and they just want to get all they can. Givers, on the other hand, they have an abundance mindset. They have plenty to share. Uh, they've been blessed. They want to share that with others. Their objective is to add value to the rooms that they go into, to people that they meet. They are the there-you-are people. Two different kinds of people. Here I am. There you are. Um, and givers and takers have opposite standards of success. For a taker, it's all about who has the most toys at the end of the day. For a giver, it's all about, gosh, how much can I give? And then can I give more? What did Jim Elliott say? Uh, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Brilliant. We've been given so much, we go back to the Psalm 23 passage. His goodness, His mercy. All the days of our life, it's there. All we have to do is say, thanks. And God wants to do it. Um, a lot of times, uh, in fairness, a lot of times, I, I brought this up here tonight. I, I don't know if I mentioned, I can tell you about, about this. Um, we, we don't always remember the people who have blessed us most. We don't think about it. And some of you guys know that um, in high school, college, uh, I, 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 I was a hurdler. That's how I went to school. And, um, and, I, and I was successful. I, mean, I had a good time at it. And I had, had some fun at it. Um, but what you guys never got to see, praise God, was before I was a senior in high school. See, when I was in high school, I mean, and I want you to be very impressed. I'm going to brag right here. This is it. Here I am. I, 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 I was, my senior year, I was undefeated in high school. I was Florida State champion. My junior year, I didn't win a race. Now you may say, well, did you hit puberty between? No, I'd already hit puberty. I already had that one down. So that wasn't a problem. The problem was, as a junior, I didn't know how to run. And so one of my friend's mentors, uh, he's, he's gone on to glory now, um, but let me, he let me into his life and let me get to know his family, his kids, his sons. Um, Phil Newland was my track coach at Edgewater High School. 
And Phil Newland um, said one day at practice, as I was trying to hurdle, and I was miserable at it, I would run to a hurdle, I would jump over it. And hurdles, if you know anything about hurdles, hurdles are obviously barriers, and you've seen people hurdle. Um, but they're, they're not, you're not supposed to run and jump over them. That's not what a hurdler does. A hurdler will run through them. And there's a big difference, huge difference. I didn't know that. And so I was spending a lot of time jumping hurdles as a junior in high school. And it was miserable. It was miserable to watch. It was miserable to practice. It was miserable to do. It was just miserable. Um, and, and Phil Newland was my coach, and he was a patient coach. He really was a patient coach. He was patient with me um, because I was not the easiest kid to coach in high school. And he, and he showed me something, and he explained to me. He said, Jeff, he said, God has blessed you with speed. <laughs> He's blessed you with speed. But you have a problem. You see the hurdle as an obstacle. He said, and as long as you see it as an obstacle, you'll never get over it because you're focused on the obstacle. I'm a junior in high school. <laughs> okay, coach, what am I supposed to focus on? <laughs> focus beyond the obstacle. And for me, it was as simple and yet as complicated as learning how to run. Because when I was a hurdler, what I was trying to do was attack the hurdle from back here. And if this is the hurdle, I was trying to go across the hurdle, and I was having to jump to get over the hurdle. But what happened is, the day that I realized that my front leg, my lead leg, as they called it, my lead leg didn't have to hit that hurdle. My lead leg had to land a foot and a half, two foot past that hurdle. Then all of a sudden, I realized, oh, I'm already across the hurdle. Now all I do is I have to get my back leg across. It makes all the difference in the world. The difference is jumping hurdles or running hurdles. And Phil Newland said, if you learn to do that well, by the time that we are uh, done with this, you will be a great hurdler. And you just won't be a fast kid, but you'll be a great hurdler. And that was my goal, to be a great hurdler. He said, you'll go to college. He said that when I was a junior. There's nobody talking to me as a junior in high school wanting me to go to college. But he said, to get there, you're going to have to work because you have to learn not to see these as obstacles. But you're going to have to learn that God has blessed you with speed and the speed is what's going to get you beyond the obstacles that right now you can't get past. We spend all summer, every day in the summer, six days a week, running hurdles. Nobody out there but me and him. And he would give up his days. He'd be out there with me every afternoon. And we'd run, and we'd run, and we'd run. Hit so many hurdles, I bled. I had scar tissue on my knees where I hit hurdles. It was miserable. But, you know, you're a kid. Who cares, right? You just keep doing it, right? You just beat your body up. That's what you're supposed to do. By the time I got to a senior, I had learned it. I didn't realize I had learned it. But I had wild success as a senior. We had a great team as a senior. I mean, we had a fun team. Um, but I brought this in because this... Um, is significant for me um, because this came from the Gold of South Track Classic, which is a one of four post-high school meets. It's an invitational-only meet that you get to go to. Okay, um, I stole this. <laughs> I, I, I own that thievery. Um, the statute of limitations has now run out on it uh, because it was 1979. But, but I stole this blatantly. 
um, and willingly, and it wasn't an accident. I actually stole it because I wanted it. <laughs> the reason that I wanted it, and it was part of the decoration in the stadium at Showalter Field, by the way, is because that was the night that Phil Newland told me after we had finished that meet and after I had been through my senior year that he put his arm around me and said, Jeff, now you're a great hurdler. You're ready to go to college. I said, well, I need something to remember this by. He goes, well, why don't you steal something off the fence? <laughs> okay. So when I were to cut it off the, we cut it off the fence. Uh, and I took it home with me uh, of the night that I was finally a great hurdler. And so I've kept it all these years. I still have it. Huh? Huh? No, she used to hang in her living room. was proud of it. And I kept thinking, if the police come and bust this place, you're going down, baby. But that's how I, that was my mom. Uh, she'll watch this on Saturday or whenever it comes out. So, um, but, uh, but so that's where, I, that's where I stole it from. But it was a reminder that, that, but for me, it was learning to understand that when God blesses you, there's something beyond the obstacle. See, we, we know we're blessed. Most people know that. And we like it. We just don't know what to do with it. And so doing something with the blessing you have is an obstacle for most of us. But until you learn to get past that obstacle, all you'll do is be a hoarder of blessing. And you've got to do something that will allow you to start putting into motion what it means to be a person that says, there you are, I see you, and I can bless you, and I can make this place better. Because of what God has given you. Um, so for me, it was becoming a thief in Winter Park, Florida. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I keep it tucked in my office somewhere. But, um, but for us as a people, man, if we could ever come to grips with the fact that God, God really has so much more in store for us than we think he does. And he really has so much more that he wants to do with us than we on our best day can dream. We would change every place that we go as we bless others. I promise you we would. But for most of us, we know that we're blessed. We just see the problems with trying to bless others. We see how difficult it is. We see how tough it is to approach people. We see how tough it is to figure out ways. And we have, that's where the art of it is. That's where the skill comes in. That's where the practice comes in. Because when you practice, eventually, eventually, those obstacles are just something that you just have to move past. And once you get past them, you're okay. As a hurdler, the greatest day of my life is the first day by myself on the track that I got across the hurdle and I realized, I just did that. I never had another day where I worried about hitting hurdles. You only have to do it the first time. After that, it becomes muscle memory. And the more you practice, the better you get at it. I was never a great hurdler when it came to form. But I was very, very fast. And I figured out if I could get across the hurdle fast, it didn't care how I, no one cared how I looked. They cared how fast I got from the starting box to the finish line. And I never ran against anybody, anybody, including Herschel Walker and all those guys that wanted to get to the finish line faster or worse than I did. I promise you I wanted to be that guy. Every tape I wanted. And I would keep them because I was that way. Uh, and for me, that became the driving force of what was a couple of years of my life. 
as an adult, I've tried to bring the same idea into my spiritual walk. I want to be that aggressive. I want to be that tough. I want to be that, that hard at trying to get it right and make it work. Um, some days better than others, no doubt about it. Um, but much more satisfying uh, to start living and enjoying the blessing of God. But we got to go. we got to go get your kids. Let's pray. We'll be done. Uh, God, each one of us uh, get the chance to impact the world in some way tomorrow. We'll go a lot of different places. We'll see a lot of different things. But in every place that we go, if you would allow us to open our eyes and our hearts to possibilities, we will make an impact. Teach us that today. Give us the opportunity tomorrow. And help us to embrace it for the rest of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.